Writing Matters with Dr. Troy Hicks is a writable podcast. Find more episodes and subscribe on your favorite platforms. And if you want to learn how to grow great writers, check out writable.com. In this episode of Writing Matters, I speak with my friend and colleague through NCTE and the Educator Collaborative, Heather Rocco. Heather is a supervisor of over 100 English language arts teachers across six schools, and she shares her insights about the teaching of writing, developing professional learning experiences, and her passion project, Understanding Introverted Students. Welcome to Writing Matters. Today, we speak with a friend and colleague, Heather Rocco, who I've known through NCTE and our collaboration through Christopher Lehman's Educator Collaborative. Uh, Heather is an award-winning English teacher and is now teaching other teachers through her professional development work. Really looking forward to the conversation today. Welcome. Thank you, Troy. Thanks for having me. Yes. So tell us a little bit about your path through education. How is it that you have come to be where you are today, um, being a teacher of over 100 plus teachers across six different school buildings in your district? Sure. So I always loved writing. I moved around a lot as a kid and writing was always my outlet to do that. So it felt as I got into college, it felt important to me to be a writer. So I started off as a journalism major and then switched to a teaching um, or education major because of a positive experience I had teaching an English class and a professor who said, have you ever thought about teaching writing? And it kind of like struck me as, oh, fast forward my journey. I became a high school English teacher, um, started on Long Island, then I moved to New Jersey um, and fell into leadership Um, because uh, someone believed in me um, when I did not believe in myself and said, why don't you get your certificate and become a supervisor? And so I did. And so I led a nine to 12 department um, at Westfield High School um, for many, many years. And then I switched to Chatham School District, which is where I am now, located in Chatham, New Jersey. And I began there as a seven to 12 teacher and, or excuse me, um, supervisor, where I also had a class and taught Um, And then they transitioned my role into a K-12 ELA supervisor. So that's what I am currently doing now, supporting um, ELA teachers in their classroom as they're implementing, of course, reading and writing instruction. That's fantastic. So you mentioned this idea that you fell into leadership. I wonder if you might be willing to tell us just a little bit more about that nudge that you got from that mentor that uh, helped lead you into your master's program and into this um, role as a supervisor. I'd be delighted. Uh, so my mentor's name is Paula Roy, and I still reach out to her often and thank her because she believed in me um, as a teacher, as well as a writer, um, as well as I was still in my late 20s when this happened to me, um, as someone who had potential. And she was really interested in empowering female leadership. Um, and so her belief in me helped me believe myself. And so I got the certification and there was the opening in my district, which we knew was coming. And she was the nudge who said, yes, you can do this. What's the worst that can happen? So they don't hire you. So what? Um, and I thought, okay. Um, and now I'm in my 15th year, um, in some kind of supervisory capacity. And I say all the time to Paula that, it's because she said, sure, you can try it. So it's amazing what that little nudge can do. 
That is amazing. And, and I think that 15 year mark probably coincides a little bit with your work on the conference in English leadership, which is one of the subgroups of NCTE. Is there a, is there a correlation there in some there way? There <laughs> is a correlation there. So another, my former supervisor in um, Westfield had been a member of CEL. Um, she retired and uh, she said, when I then got the position, she said, well, then you have to go to the conference on English leadership. That's the only way that I've survived my career. Um, and I thought, okay, sure, I'll go. I did not know anyone. Um, and over the year, I just kept coming back because it, served all of my needs and there were these folks there who were doing the same thing that I was trying to do. Sometimes in your leadership role, you're the only ELA supervisor in your district or in your region even, and it can be kind of a lonely place. So the opportunity to connect with people at CEL just really helped me both kind of shape who I was as a leader and then make connections to help continue my path. Um, as to how I could grow uh, as a leader, as my <laughs> positions continued to change too. I just needed that network over and over again. So it's been great for me. Absolutely. Well, and certainly as others who are aspiring into leadership in literacy and English studies in particular and department chairs and curriculum coordinators, it's an organization that uh, can help support them too. So it's always worth giving a shout out. Uh, so. Thanks. Yeah. So, you know, you, you mentioned that, um, you know, sometimes it can be a little lonely. Um, however, I guess that it's probably never dull. Um, and I know that it's probably difficult to describe any particular day, let alone any particular week or any particular month in your job. But could you give us a just a sense what happens for you as a leader of other teachers when you're out visiting classrooms and you're helping with individual coaching or preparing to do professional learning. What does your job look like and feel like um, over the span of say an average week? What okay. might we expect to see you doing? Cause I was thinking, well, let's talk about what I did today. Um, so <laughs> well, you could do that too. Yeah, um, so a typical day um, involves a lot of meetings with teachers. So in my six to 12 group, it's structured so that I can have individual meeting with teachers. Um, I work with teachers during their first few years of their career. I meet with them every two weeks and we talk about plans. We talk about assessing students. We talk about um, writing emails. We talk about creating assessments, all those types of things. So like today I met and had two of those. And it's just, I say often that the, the traction and the growth that we've been able to make as a department is because of all of these great ideas that my teachers come to the meetings with or that we bat around with that idea of like, what if I tried? What if I did? Um, and because we're always engaged in conversation, it just creates this kind of, I hope at least, they feel supported to take risks and try things. Um, so lesson planning, we call them lesson planning meetings for lack of a better <laughs> term. Um, but they're really just conversations around teaching. Um, so that happens almost daily. I have at least one or two of those. Um, I also, a few years ago with my special education colleague, Kim Lanza, started, we don't have instructional coaches in my district. Um, so we took that on ourselves to make a practice of that. So that not only are we supporting teachers by, yes, I go in and I do the observation and the formal evaluation, but I want them to know that there are opportunities where I can stand beside them or sit next to them on the floor like I did today. So I worked in a fourth grade classroom today 
um, and worked with students to help a teacher who had reached out to me who was looking for support in how to confer with teachers, or excuse me, with students about their reading because um, she was struggling. She feels like she's um, settled with writing, but she really needs some work with reading. And so I got to spend an hour in her classroom working with kids. Those are my favorite days when I get to do things like that. Of course, I do the formal observation and evaluation process, but then I also spend a lot of time thinking about professional development and supporting teachers and designing, whether it's our meeting time or professional development time that feels meaningful and um, useful to them. So that is another opportunity and where I kind of dedicate my work. And of course, curriculum. I'm always, <laughs> we're revising curriculum right now, all of those things. So, Right. Well, I'd really like to come back and pick up on what this professional learning looks like. Mm -hmm. um, and I find it very interesting that you do everything from emails to assessment with your teachers. Yes, uh, and any, what do you <laughs> and need any today? And everything in between. <laughs> That's right. But yeah, tell us a little bit more. So as you're talking with teachers, and as you said, standing or sitting beside them and helping them and their students in their classrooms, what are some of the current trends, topics, inquiries around the teaching of writing? Um, and then I'm sure that'll lead into this professional learning piece. Mm -hmm. But as you think about two or three of the big issues or inquiries that your teachers bring when they say, I'm struggling with teaching writing and teaching, mm -hmm. what's the end of that sentence? What's currently happening for you as you work with teachers? So um, a few things. One, um, that quickly comes to mind um, is we were having struggles. We were one to, we've been one-to-one -one in terms of d digital technology for a few years. When the one-to-one, when, -one, when the Chromebooks came in, teachers felt pressure to use them all the time, every day, every lesson, kids, you know, encouraging kids to take notes on it, et cetera. But what we found was just as an adult, I have 72 tabs open at any given time. Kids also were having 72 tabs open at any given time. And so it was actually having a negative impact on the writing. So we had lots of discussion um, and went and returned, not wholly, but had conversations about where does, you know, I love my notebook. Like where does the notebook play a role in the classroom and how can we balance? When do we invite kids to use a notebook versus when do we invite kids into the digital space? And some of that, they have to increase their own awareness as to what works best for them. Um, so, you know, we're still kind of seeking that balance, but there's a lot more notebook use now. And that was just helpful for my teachers to help their students kind of stay on task and, and not get sucked into the digital vortex. However, we're using, of course, I mean, now we're doing so much more and teachers are still looking for, and this will transition into trend number two here, but for ways to use the digital world to do all different types of writing and interact with other audiences that are outside of our school um, or even just exposing their own writing to their classmates. Um, so we, of course, are playing around with blogs, et cetera, but doing podcasts now, doing book trailers on YouTube um, is a way that we've just been looking for other ways to um, invite that different formats, what feels authentic into our classrooms. Um, one thing we've been talking about quite a bit, um, and we've been working on for many years, when I first came to my school district now, there was a lot of writing in response to the reading, and it always felt mm. like whatever writing students were doing had to be born from or based on because they read insert book title here. Um, mm. and, and it was still very much a literature-based classroom. Um, now, we've spent a lot of time talking about what other types of writing do students 
want to do, are interested in doing? How can we engage them in that work that feels perhaps more authentic? And we've spent more time looking at what is being published across the world now. What, you know, if we're going to write about reading, what other ways are people writing about what they're reading? Sometimes book reviews, yes. We use one of my teachers, um, Shannon Faulkner, recommended LitHub as a great like digest where they go out and they pull all these different articles um, where people are talking about books and literature. We've been using those as mentor texts. So that's one piece of it. Um, but the second piece of it really is I'm interested in and we're interested in the opportunities to look at expository writing. We feel as though we've kind of moved away from the idea that writing is thinking that Peter Elbow, you know, talks about and it's, you know, stay in the lane. We're doing argumentative writing. We're doing explanatory writing. We're doing narrative writing. Well, those cross over. And sometimes it should be the opportunity for students to just expose how they're thinking about an idea or to follow kind of a nugget or a thread or, um, you know, to, to focus on something that interests them, but they don't necessarily have an argument about it. There's, of course, room for argumentative writing, but it doesn't always have to be framed under a thesis, et cetera. So that's kind of where I am right now. Like, what are more ways that we can show students that writing is a tool to help them think and understand their thinking, as well as then seek connection with other people who do or do not think, or at least have those interests um, as they do. Um, mm -hmm. So those are some of the things that I'm interested in at this point. Absolutely. Yeah, well, picking up on that last point, you know, and of course the root word is going to escape me right now because we're recording this podcast, but I know <laughs> that, you know, essay, from the French is something about to discover or to explore. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciate what you just said there that sometimes we get so caught up in teaching the thesis driven essay, whether it's the five paragraph format or something that's more progressive, we still get very caught up in a thesis driven essay and we don't necessarily allow students those opportunities just to explore. Mm -hmm. how, how do I know what I think until I see what I say? And, mm -hmm. you know, I, can't, I don't know who to attribute that to either, but there's that mantra that we want students to have opportunity to just play with ideas. And mm -hmm. uh, I'm glad to hear that you're doing that with your mm -hmm. teachers. So let's talk a little bit more about that work then. So as sure. you are designing professional learning for other educators, uh, what are some of the models that you're using? What are some of the ways that you invite them into their own uh, inquiry and professional learning? Yeah. Um, so a few years ago um, in my department, ELA department, we were inspired um, by this 80-20 or genius hour approach that's been taken by a lot of um, businesses. We, went, we actually had a field trip to Google, which is where this was born. Um, for in terms of a nugget of an idea. And of course, we're doing that. I see schools doing that with their students all the time as well. Um, and so I know for uh, several years, I've been working on differentiated instruction for professional development. And yet it was still born out of, while I would get their input, it would still be like, okay, which of these three things are you interested in? And they would pick one of those three things. Instead, I wanted to open it up broader. Every year, our teachers in New Jersey um, set a professional goal for themselves, and it often felt a little bit contrived. Sometimes it was a, a goal recommended by the district, like this year we're doing, insert, you know, initiative here, and that would be their professional goal. Just like kids, 
adults don't necessarily respond all that well to it either. And so they go through the motions and attend the PD sessions, but it's not an authentic experience for them. So instead, we, I ask teachers to set goals like, what are, what are you most interested in? What do you, I frame the, the original question around, what is the one thing you would do or study or research or implement in your class if you had the time? To do it. If you had, you know, another five to 10 hours of professional time, yes, I would dedicate my time to do this. And so that's where we started and teachers set those goals. And then we created a PD structure. I let go of a little department meeting time and would give them, you know, an hour or so on a Monday where we would typically be in a meeting or in a PD training session designed by me and said, go, you can work independently, you can collaborate. Um, and that's how we proceeded throughout the first couple of years. Actually, we were doing it at the end of the year. We would have what we called the Genius Hour Celebration, where everyone would come together. I'd have one or two volunteers present to the whole group. But then we'd break off in small groups and everyone would share what they studied that year, how it impacted their classroom. And it was an opportunity to build community as well as expertise. Because if you're setting a goal that everyone has the same goal, then you all also have the same expertise. But if we're allowed to set individual goals, um, then everyone, we diversify our interests and then our levels of expertise. So if you're working, I often use the example, um, one of my teachers, Tony had spent a year reading all types of books on ADHD students because he was working with a population that was challenging him and he was trying to find ways to better engage them. So then Tony became the expertise, so teachers were going to him to ask questions when they had similar students. So it actually built our capacity as a community of educators because everyone had different interests, and then we shared them. Um, now, um, we've expanded that, so the, it's mm. a broader district um, initiative, and we have a few options. The Genius Hour, as I just described it, is still one of the options. And then we also offer what we're calling Learning Labs, um, so it's optional. You can opt in or not. It's like courses where you can take mm. a course that runs over two sessions, four sessions, whatever. And there's all different types of it. There's a traditional kind of led by a supervisor type of course. I'm thinking like my special ed supervisor colleague is doing one on executive functioning, whereas I'm doing one where it's a book study. So we chose John based on input from teachers. We chose John Warner's book, Why They Can't Write. Mm -hmm. And we're reading that now together. So I have about I don't know, maybe it's like 10 of us in the group. We actually just met yesterday afternoon. Um, and everyone's bringing their discussion questions. This is the passage that really challenged me. And we're having those types of conversations around writing, which then for many of them is inspiring their independent or their collaborative work that they're doing on their own. Um, the impact or the, the ripple effect of this, of course, is then teachers raising their own awareness as to how important it is to give student choice in their classroom, allowing them to pursue their own areas of interest, um, as well as then just to kind of fall into that sometimes uncomfortable experience of being a learner when you feel a little lost or maybe you run into a dead end or you're not which know, uh, you don't know which resource is best to use, um, which is, I think, built a sense of empathy too with my teachers. I mean, my teachers are amazing I am the most blessed supervisor in the entire world um, but they're always you know always expanding always looking to learn and what they're bringing into the classroom because of these experiences it's really been phenomenal 
That is amazing. And I, I certainly respect and appreciate that you allow teachers the time and the space and what they bring to the table. And my guess is that even though there may still be one or two who are not quite on board, I, I, it sounds like the vast majority are, and that over the past few years, you've been able to build up those expectations um, that we trust you, we value you, we appreciate what you bring, and we want you to have the time that you need as well. And I think that's hard for mm -hmm. us to let go and mm -hmm. to, to you, you know, it's hard in our own classrooms, let alone across the whole district to, mm -hmm. to let people. But as you said, it comes back to that core piece that um, if we want to emulate what they should be doing in their own classrooms, then we have to walk the walk. So exactly. I really appreciate that. Yeah. And to that point, there's always going to be, there's always going to be those one or two students and there's always going mm -hmm. to be those one or two educators. Um, I just can't make decisions around the one or two, you know, we try and make decisions yeah. around the ones who will build the energy. And I think it's more likely that those stragglers or late adopters would come on board if I have, you know, 98 teachers who are, all in and doing the work so and we support them along the way i mean part of those lesson planning meetings that i referred to earlier i'm talking about how's your genius hour work going what are you doing can i provide a resource for you so they're never just on their own they don't pick a goal in september and we talk about it again in may so we yeah. talk about it all year long wow great well and i know from some of your previous work with the ed collab and and i think the fact that we might share this personality trait though people might question whether this is true or not, given how much we're out and about. Um, I know one of your passion projects is helping students who may be more introverted. So I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about the role of introversion and how that affects student writers and some of the things you've been thinking about and um, pondering related to that over the last few years. Sure. So I, I, my story is I, I've always been a quieter kid. As I mentioned earlier, I moved around a lot. So I just thought it was like a personality trait. I just was a little bit less confident socially. Um, when I read Susan Cain's book, Quiet, The Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking, I read it in like 2013, I think I read it. It blew my mind because it showed me that being, it's more than just being quiet. It, I have a need to be quiet. Introverts, it's about the energy source. So an extrovert it gets energy by being around people, by talking. They're the ones that like to get together and brainstorm. They're the people who talk on the phone, on their car ride home. I'm not that person. Introverts get re-energized by time spent alone. We like to work in the quiet. We need time to think and process, come down from our day. Um, and in the classroom, classrooms are noisy places and schools are noisy places and the bells ring every 56 minutes or 80 minutes there's always then you know loud noise in the hallways as well as our classrooms are very collaborative now rightfully so you know I don't like kids sitting in rows and listening to a teacher lecture I think we moved well away from that many years ago and of course pushed into small groups however we have to be respectful of the introverted student who does need, not just want, but actually needs time to think on their own first, perhaps develop some ideas, to just prepare for some type of collaboration. That's not to say they can't do it because they absolutely can. But that time with a notebook 
that maybe they can jot down a few things, bullet point, dash off a couple of ideas is really valuable and critical to them. The other thing that I, I know when we brought in an LMS system, we use um, Schoology in my district, but whether it's Google Classroom or whatever, I remember that first year teachers saying to me, I cannot believe how much this student writes in response to you know, a question that I pose because he's able to write it on, you know, in writing on this message board, and, but he never says anything in class. Why is that? Oh my gosh, I have to talk to him. And I have to explain that's because the student has some time to think about it, feels more comfortable in the written form than in the oral form. I know that's often how I feel. I can put together my thoughts more clearly in a more concise way if I have the opportunity to write them down and process it. Sometimes when I'm going off the top of my head, my, I just can't think it through the way that I want to. So I think giving uh, all students, but introverted students in particular, that quiet time to really think and process and then say, all right, turn in and talk with your neighbor is being respectful. It's not to say that introverts always have to work alone because we don't want to always work alone, but we do need the time to kind of have that quiet. Um, and I know we have an independent reading program and our, all of our students read this six to 12, at least 10 minutes at the beginning of ELA every day. And one introverted student, I know this child is introverted, in a survey that we did say, it's the only quiet 10 minutes I have all day long, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. So just being mindful of that um, can mm. help make a, a, a better place for our introverted students. Mm -hmm. Well, even one strategy you just mentioned in there is that, that moment of, okay, before the turn and talk or the group work, let's all just write, mm -hmm. take 30 seconds, a minute, minute and a half, jot your thoughts down. That's just a good collaborative strategy anyway for mm -hmm. everyone, right? Mm -hmm. So we know what we're thinking and we get ready to go into that conversation being prepared and thoughtful and to know that it also is supporting introverted students in that way is helpful mm -hmm. too. So, yep, I can definitely understand what you said about reading the Susan Cain book and uh, I'm, I'm right with you on that one. I know uh, you are, I Troy. totally I feel know. that. <laughs> <laughs> totally feel it. So... So, you know, as we come to the close of our time here today, and knowing, of course, our conversations will continue elsewhere, but for our listeners today, I'm really curious about the role of writing in your own professional life. Uh, I know you've had some ebbs and flows and some ups and downs as a teacher writer, and I wonder if you might tell us a little bit about the role of writing in your professional life. Sure. Um, well, I love writing. It was my first love. I, when I was little, I would write poems as gifts. I have continued to do that um, to this day. Um, but I have struggled as a writer too, which, you know, as I read more, I've spent a lot of time reading writers talk about their writing, right? Does that make sense? Yes. Mm -hmm. um, and have read and appreciated when they share their struggles. I know for me, a couple years ago, I kind of had a really negative writing experience and it set me back. Um, in a way that frustrated me, and I couldn't, it, I couldn't crawl out of it because I felt it kind of mm, stabbed my confidence a little bit, um, made me question if I had a voice or anything to contribute to the profession. And that's where I've truly appreciated the nudge from Chris Lehman, who we mentioned before, um, from the Educator Collaborative, who encourages us to write for the EdCollab blog. And he's always so encouraging when I send one of those blogs his way um, 
and makes me feel, you know, like, yes, you do have a voice. Um, and then this conversation about introversion, which I've been having for the last about year and a half or so, started with this little tiny presentation that I did for my admin team. And it's really kind of grown and helped me see, oh, I do have things to say. And so, so much of my writing now, I'm kind of focusing on that angle and trying to support the introverts, both who are teachers as well as who are students um, and sharing information and doing that. I've been writing some blog posts um, along those lines. I also love my writer's notebook and I still dash off. I love the little lines I hear that, you know, in conversation and I hold those and put those in my writer's notebook or I play around with description and language and I just love when I read something beautiful by a writer like Abigail Thomas or um, who am I reading now? Oh, I'm reading um, Elizabeth Acevedo's new book. Her, I love her character there. Like I love looking at how did she do that? Let me try that. Um, mm. So I still feel that connection um, to writers. I just love being around them. So. That's amazing. So you, you will actually just copy the language of others into your notebook just so you can kind of immerse yourself. I do. In it. I do. Cause I love, I don't know. I love language. I love those lines. And I love to take a poem that I love because the structure or something, and then write my own version of it. So I'll like play around, like, you know, when you take a line for a walk or something like open the same way that the poet does, but then change the rest of it or um, find those two or three key lines and hold on to those, but write your own story around the poem. That's what I do for fun, Troy. And that's how we know we're introverted right there. Cause that's a good <laughs> Friday night for me. <laughs> right. Right. Well, I really like how you phrase that. I haven't heard that before. Take the line for a walk. I've heard it mm. called copy change or mm -hmm. um, there's another writing project colleague, Bev Matulis, who called it dancing with an author. Ooh, um, yeah, but I have I like not, I've not heard uh, take a line for a walk. Mm -hmm. um, so that's great. So as we bring our conversation to a close and think about all these elements of teaching, writing and leading um, others and professional learning around the teaching of writing, what's next for you? Where are you at in your thinking and, and where are you heading in your, your work with the Ed Collab or with Cell and NCTE or with your own teachers? What, what's on your horizon here this year? So the other thing that we've been working on that I think is really important um, in the secondary level, so we've been implementing workshop at the secondary level mm -hmm. for a few years, and I believe in workshop, and wholeheartedly um, with, you know, tweaks along the way as needed. But the, I think that we as high school educators don't make enough good use of strategy groups and small groups to help teach writers. I think that we've gotten really good with a writing conference and doing that individually, but that takes a lot of time to meet with mm -hmm. 25 students in a 56 minute period. How long can you do that? So I've been encouraging and trying to support uh, my teachers through some professional learning by asking them to see, okay, what do your students need? Why don't you pull this group of four and provide those students a mini, mini lesson. And then they have their own kind of group of students who are all working on um, whatever the skill might be, integrating quotes or developing a scene or using descriptive language, whatever that focus skill is, because then they're getting teacher support as well as getting peer support from one another because they're all kind of tasked with the same thing so they can go back and be peer reviewers for one another. 
So that's one thing that we're working on um, as a department that I'm really, really excited about because I do think it can um, help the efficiency because time is always an issue um, as well as help students feel supported in, in the process. So um, that's one of the things we're working on as a department. And for me, I'm really interested in introversion and writing about it and thinking about it in the classroom um, and continue to go out and collaborate with colleagues. Is that contradictory? Because I'm interested in introversion <laughs> and collaborating with colleagues. But, you know, on that topic, as well as, you know, like, what are we doing? What are schools doing um, in order to meet the needs of those students? So. Well, for what it's worth, if you ever want to collaborate with another introvert, you, you know the invitation is open. So. Thank you, Troy. I'm going to take you up on that. <laughs> uh, well, thank you, Heather. I appreciate the work that you do with and for students, with and for other educators, both in your district and more broadly across our profession. And it's been a real pleasure talking with you today. Thank you so much for having me, Troy. I enjoyed it. Writing Matters with Dr. Troy Hicks is a writable podcast. Discover more episodes and subscribe on your favorite streaming platforms or check out filmed episodes on YouTube. And if you want to learn how to grow great writers, check out writable.com.